Good morning. Welcome to Church of the Palms. My name is James Taylor, and I sing in the chancel choir in our congregation. Let us now prepare our hearts for worship as we bow our heads for the prayer of invocation. We have trusted in you, eternal God, and that trust brings us to this time of worship. In this place, your steadfast love becomes evident again as we sing our songs of thanksgiving and tell of your wondrous deeds. We are grateful for the life and witness of Jesus, whom you sent among people to make possible our reconciliation and healing. For the saving grace available where you reign, we give thanks. Help us to be childlike, to receive your blessing and to welcome your embrace. Take us into your arms, we pray. Amen. Let us praise God through our worship.
Will you please stand for the call to worship? Join with me in our responsive call to worship. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west. Let us worship God. God is ever more ready to hear than we are to pray. God's mercy is from everlasting to everlasting. God's steadfast love never ceases. They are new every morning for us. Relying on God's love and mercy, let us pray our confession together. All loving God, your word sustains all life, but we confess our indifference to it and our reluctance to follow it. You invite us to your table, but we have other things to do. You seat us next to our global citizens, but we are much more interested in making of them an enemies list. You teach us to love and make peace, but we have rather learned from our favorite toxic pundits. Forgive us, O oh God, feast us at your table, from us in disciples, compel us to love neighbor. We pray in the gym of Christ. Amen. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is God's steadfast love for us. As far as the east is from the west, so far God removes our sins from us. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. Jesus Christ.
Now let us affirm our faith together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, and he ascended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and seated on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now I'd like to invite the children to come forward for children's moment while the rest of us greet one another. Good morning. So good to see you all on this very special day. Did you notice anything different up front? Yes. What did you notice? Did I, I noticed you, what, what did you notice? Food and bread. Food and bread. Well, that leads me into my very first question for you. What's your favorite kind of food to eat? Anyone have, can you tell me what's your favorite kind of food? Ice cream. Ice cream, yes! Hamburgers. Hamburgers, yeah, anyone else? Oh, there's one. Ice cream. Ice cream too? Oh my goodness. Well, you know what one of my favorite foods is? Bread. I love bread warm right out of the oven with butter on, right on top of it, even in a grilled cheese. Or back when I was a kid, what I loved the most of all was toast with butter and cinnamon sugar. Oh, be still my heart, it is so good. And I was thinking this is a pretty darn good day to be at Church of the Palms because look at all this bread. I wanna show you something, excuse me. Oh, we have the same kind of boots. Today is World Communion Sunday which means that we are celebrating with all of our brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world. They're taking communion just like us today, and guess what? Yoko went out and she bought bread from different countries. I think she got it from Publix, but they represent different countries just to remind us. So this big long one, like a French baguette reminds us of our friends in France. There's a pumpernickel in here to remind us of our friends in Germany. And look, you know what this is? It's non. Pastor Mingy has family and friends who live in Myanmar. Maybe that's what they're using today when they receive communion. So here's what I want you to remember. Any time that you eat bread this week, you think you might have some bread this week? Maybe? Yeah, anytime you eat bread, I want you to remember that God loves every single person, no matter what kind of bread they eat, 
no matter where they live, what color they are, how big they are, how small they are. God loves them all with a great big love. Do you think you can remember that? Yeah. Thank you, ice cream girl. Let's pray. <laughs> Gracious God, thank you for a love so big, we just can't keep it to ourselves. Help us to love one another the way you love us. Amen. It's been 18 months. You can do better than that. Giving them a big round of applause. Boy, that's music to our ears, is it not? So welcome back, choir. Thank you coming back in full force. It's just wonderful uh, as we continue to take more and more steps back to the maybe not always all the way back to the way things used to be because we always want to keep moving forward, but we are grateful uh, to be together more and more as the people of God, and we are so glad to be here this day on World Communion Sunday for us uh, to have the chance to gather together with all the world, as Lori was mentioning in her children's moment, and uh, the celebration will continue past uh, this service out into the courtyard where there'll be a wonderful opportunity for you to uh, engage in fellowship, and we have these two big maps there. Uh, one of them will include all the pictures that you sent in, and we've placed you all across the globe, all those favorite places that you've visited in your life, as well as another map where you can take a little pin and put uh, a pin on all the places that you've been in the world. Uh, we would love to see that map all covered because it reminds us of our connection to the world. So come and join us for some treats and for some fellowship and for a chance to see how 
far the Fellowship of Church of the Palms has extended into our world. We are uh, looking forward to a busy October. It's hard to believe that we're already in the month of October. Next week we have a bloodmobile that's visiting us, so you may want to be scheduling yourself around that so that we can give that precious gift of blood that's badly needed in our community. So join us for that. And then we have a noontime concert on October the 13th. We have uh, the Key Chorale singers will be with us. Uh, part, of their, uh, part of their great group will be with us on October the 13th. Sign up for that. There's lunch that's followed by this wonderful little concert in the chapel. And then on October 16th and 17th, our students are going away on retreat up to Stark, Florida. And we would uh, love to have you sign up your uh, children and our grandchildren to be a part of that. That's both middle school and high school students. And we are so delighted to have Tita Vonkot and Dean Anderson leading us in our music today. Would you welcome them? incredibly gifted people. And one other item of news, uh, Jen Hatmaker, uh, who we have been looking forward to for well over a, or about a year or so, but we keep having to postpone her. She's asked if we could postpone once again due to COVID. So if you hold tickets for that, hold on to them, and uh, we will be rescheduling that uh, sometime probably next fall. So uh, good things come to those who wait, and we have been waiting, and we'll look forward to her joining us uh, when that time comes. And we are glad to welcome some new members to our fellowship this day, and we invite you to take a look at the insert that's in your bulletin and the pictures of these good people whom I will, uh, their names I'll call out and I believe a couple of them are here at our nine o'clock service, some are at other services today, but Karen Camp and uh, Kristen Eldon Johnson, if you, if you, I, if you're here, you hear my name, I hear your name, not my name, um, stand up. There they are, the Johnsons are back there, welcome them and Judy Kylie and Marlo King and Patricia Rollins and Kathleen Chin is here as well. So stand up, would you welcome them into our life here at Church of the Palms. We are so grateful that God has joined us in this moment of worship and let us continue. So we are at that point in our service called the moment of gratitude, where we have the opportunity, of course, to pause and reflect on all that we have been given by a good and gracious God. We realize that there are so many of you that give so generously of your time, your talents, and your treasures. And we are so grateful that we get to partner together to love God and to love neighbor. As you exit today, of course, there are baskets by the doors. On page 13, there are other ways in which you can give. I pray that God fills us all with a spirit of generosity and a sense of security that we may be free of fear and filled with God's spirit of abundance and adventure, that God would fill us with joy and laughter to share with one another as well as empowering us to provide food and safety and justice for all people. As we celebrate World Communion today, while we're listening to some amazing music, we'll have an opportunity to see those photos that you sent in of all your favorite places in the world that are on the map out in the courtyard.
Let us pray. Everlasting Father, thank you that you are the light of the world guiding our steps on your path. Your word says that the earth is yours and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to you. We recognize everything we have belongs to you. We acknowledge that our very lives belong to you. We now offer back to you a portion of what you have given us. Tout ce qui est dans les cieux et sur la terre t'appartient, et c'est de ta main que nous avons tout reçu. Reçois l'offrande que nous te présentons pour le service du monde et de l'Église. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Our scripture lessons today come from the New Testament. The first from the letter to the Hebrews, the first chapter, verses one through four. Hear the word of God. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the worlds. He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. And he sustains all things by his powerful word. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Our second lesson from the Gospel according to Luke, the 14th chapter, beginning at the 15th verse. One of the dinner guests on hearing this said to Jesus, blessed is anyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus said to him, someone gave a great dinner and invited many. At the time for the dinner, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a piece of land and I must go out and see it. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I've just been married and therefore I cannot come. So the slave returned and reported this to his master. And then the owner of the house became angry and said to his slave, go out at once into the streets and lanes of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the slave said, sir, what you ordered has been done and there's still room. Then the master said to the slave, go out into the roads and lanes and compel people to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those who were invited will taste my dinner. This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O Lord, that you will allow these words to come to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ. For we pray this in his name, amen. Carl Rowan died some 20 years ago, and 20 years is long enough to forget a person, but in his day, Carl Rowan was a remarkable servant to our country. Growing up in the Jim Crow South, he figured out a way to get himself to college. He was one of the first African-Americans to serve as a commission officer in the United States Navy. Fast forward to 1961, he was appointed Deputy Assistant Secretary of State by President John F. Kennedy, served as a delegate to the United Nations during the Cuban Missile Crisis, later became the U.S. Ambassador to Finland, and later was appointed Director of the United States Information Agency. He became the first African-American to hold a seat on the National Security Council. Later, he became a prize-winning columnist and was nominated for a Pulitzer Prize. Carl Rowan would often speak of the influence in his life of a woman named Bessie Gwynn. Bessie Gwynn was a school teacher that Rowan had while growing up in McMinnsville, Tennessee. She was an English teacher there at the high school, and young Carl Rowan was her student. She taught Carl Shakespeare and Chaucer and Milton and the scriptures. She taught Carl about similes, metaphors, and good grammar. 
When Bessie, his teacher, turned 85, she was to be honored at a testimonial dinner for, by a group of her students and teachers, and Carl was invited to come and say a few words. As fate would have it, he had been invited also on the same night to attend a White House dinner hosted by then Jimmy Carter, President Carter. How often in a lifetime do you get invited to a White House state dinner? Rowan sat down and wrote this letter in response to the President's invitation. Dear Mr. President, I received your letter three days after I had agreed to speak a few words at a dinner honoring the wonderful high school teacher who had taught me to write. I know you will not miss me at your dinner, but she might at hers. Sincerely yours, Carl Rowan. President Carter wrote back, Dear Mr. Rowan, presidents come and go, but a good teacher lasts a lifetime. A good teacher lasts a lifetime. It may not take long for many of us to come up with a name or two of teachers who have made a significant difference in our lives, grade school teachers, high school teachers, college professors, counselors, pastors, music teachers, folks that taught us in the formative years of life and etched into us the great lessons by which we have lived. Mrs. Gerlinger taught me how to write. Mr. Zilke taught me how to study. Mr. Schaubin taught me how to be a leader. My college chaplain taught me what it meant to follow Jesus. And by God's good grace, I've been given the chance to return to some of my Hall of Fame teachers and face-to-face -face have shared with them what their life and teaching has meant to me. And to a person, they have all been somewhat dumbfounded that their classroom efforts have resulted in such gratitude. A good teacher lasts a lifetime. Now, when we think of this list of teachers that we've had in our life, most of the ones who usually show up on the list are the ones that we didn't choose, but were actually chosen for us. Most of my teachers in school were assigned to me or just happened to be teaching the courses I was interested in. Little did I know what difference they would make in my life. But there comes a time in your life when you're given the chance to choose your teacher, to put yourself under the influence of another. I remember trying out for my high school basketball team. Coach Black was the coach, and Coach Black was one of the best basketball coaches in the state. Unfortunately, my fellow teammates and I managed to tarnish his record a bit. So when you tried out for his team and managed to get invited onto his team, you were in for a good bit of discipline and a whole lot of work. When you chose to play on Coach Black's team, you were signing up to a way of life, certain drills, certain training, certain plays, certain defensive schemes, and strangely, this was not negotiable. If you were in, interested in debating the merits of these things, you were welcome to, but only after you handed in your uniform and cleaned out your locker. You chose this man as your teacher, and you submitted yourself to his teaching. Good teachers last a lifetime. And some of those teachers, we choose. Conversely, I remember not long ago after graduating from seminary, not long after graduating from seminary, not long after, it doesn't make any sense, but. <laughs> and I was starting off as a pastor and not really making a whole lot of money and not really understanding how best to manage the little money that I had. A friend set me up to talk to a financial advisor to help set me on the right path of financial management. So we sat down and he looked at my situation, how much was coming in, how much was going out, and how much was staying in the bank. And at the end of it all, the financial advisor said to me, Reverend, and he knew I was a reverend, the best advice I can give you is to give less of your money away. And I remember thinking to myself, wow, he knows who he's talking to, a minister of the gospel. This is amazing. This guy is presenting me a choice at the early part of my life to go one way or the other keep or give, and I get to choose. A good teacher, and I suppose a bad teacher, lasts a lifetime. So the writer to the Hebrews, an author unidentified, writes his letter to make the case 
that the rabbi Jesus, the teacher Jesus, whose short three-year ministry across the region of Palestine resulted in being crucified at the joint hands of the Romans and his own people, but whose, whose, resurrected, whose resurrection appearances have been reported and his ascension has been witnessed to, the writer to the Hebrews makes the case in his letter that it is this teacher Jesus who is the good teacher, the one teacher, the only teacher. He is, the writer writes, he is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. And he sustains all things by his powerful word. Listen to that sentence again. Jesus is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being and he sustains all things by the power of his word. He sustains all things by his powerful word. That, that, is, quite a, that is quite a claim. That is quite an endorsement. And most of all, it is quite a choice. Is this the teacher who lasts a lifetime? One of the things I hate about the Bible, that it is pretty direct in presenting us with pretty clear choices. And the clear choices end up being hard choices. And when I mean hard choices, I mean the kind of choices where the claim is pretty clear, and now I have to decide whether I believe it. And in believing it, whether I'm gonna do anything about it. At the beginning of all the Gospels, they tell us that Jesus begins his ministry by walking around and saying to these spiritually curious men, come follow me. Come follow me. What he doesn't say is, you know, this good teacher, what he doesn't say is, hey, you know, I know you're busy, and I know you got a million things to do, and you probably don't have the time but if you can see fit to you know, open up maybe an hour or so a month to you know, help me out with this little project I'm working on, why, that would be swell. It's not what he says. The good teacher says, come follow me. And scripture says they dropped their nets and followed him. They made the choice they signed on to the program, they submitted to the teaching, and they chose the teacher of a lifetime. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his brilliant book, The Cost of Discipleship, wrote that when Jesus says, follow me, and presents himself as the teacher of a lifetime, Bonhoeffer says that people suddenly then become aware of all their other responsibilities and duties and are loath to part with them. But all this, Bonhoeffer continues, is only a cloak to prevent them from having to make a decision. It's sort of what happens in the parable in which Jesus tells about the person, you know, who decides to throw a big dinner party. He sends out invites and the invites are received and then in return come all the reasons for why the dinner doesn't quite fit. I've, I've got a real estate deal, I've got to close that day, I just bought a new animal, I need to train, I got married, blah, blah, blah. Nothing wrong in any of those things except that these people are protecting themselves from having to make a decision. And of course, the irony to it all is that what they're saying no to is a feast. A feast, a party, a good time. The good dinner hosted by the good teacher. So they equivocate, you know, it would be okay, you know, if I, don't, if I don't make the dinner, could I get there for hors d'oeuvres, or maybe could I get dessert to go? Maybe we could have coffee next week. But the good teacher says, you're missing the point. It's a feast. It's a feast. It is the word that sustains life. It is the teaching of a lifetime. 
And I suppose it's all something to think about on World Communion Sunday, World Communion Sunday that got started a long time ago by one of the great statesmen of the church, a good Presbyterian, Hugh Thompson Kerr, who sought to find a way to encourage the worldwide church to gather at Christ's table in their respective communions on the first Sunday of the month of October. And he called it Worldwide Communion to signify our oneness in Christ, that Christ draws us together as one, no matter how different we might be. That was almost 90 years ago, and here we are again, 2021, at God's table. But I wonder if there isn't something else to think about when Jesus invites us, invites the worldwide church to this table. And I wonder if it isn't a decision, if it isn't a decision that Jesus wants us to make, a choice of teachers. Do you want me as your teacher? When you come to this table, do you want me as your teacher? Carl Rowan could have sat at table with the President of the United States, or he could have sat at table with Bessie Gwynn. And he chose the good teacher. And don't you think the world hangs on the hinge of what table we choose to sit at? What, what teacher we choose to dine with? What, what coach we invite to discipline us? Don't you think the world and all its woes just won't get any better until we submit ourselves to Jesus' teaching? Not, not just the hors d'oeuvres, you know, not just the cake to go, but the feast, the whole feast, the teaching that sustains all things. In Jeffrey Marx's great book, Season of Life, he tells the story of Joe Ehrman, former lineman for the Baltimore Colts, who at an early age was taught by his father that the most important thing in your life is to learn how to fight. Every night, his father would take him down to the basement, put on boxing gloves, and they'd spar with each other. Joe learned how to get the other guy before he gets you. A philosophy that comes in pretty handy when you're preparing yourself to become a defensive lineman in the NFL. Joe became a star, got on the fast track of the best cars, the best houses, the best women, the best whatever. But in the midst of it all, his best friend, his brother, was dying, dying of cancer. And when the unthinkable happened, his brother dying, Joe discovered he lost the most important thing in his life a relationship, and the fame and the money and the houses, none of it mattered in light of this relationship he had with his brother. And now that was gone. But somewhere along that way, someone introduced Joe to the teacher Jesus. And Joe read about the teacher Jesus, read every word that the G teacher Jesus spoke. And in doing so, he realized that it was either this teacher or some other teacher, but it couldn't be both. Jesus wasn't asking us to squeeze him in with all the other teachers. So Joe chose, took a seat at the table, began the feast. So now you will find Joe where Joe thinks Jesus is. In inner city Baltimore, working with kids and parents, you see Joe being responsible for community centers and homes for kids with cancer. And for a while, you would even see Joe coaching a high school football team, one of the best high school football teams in the state, where on the practice field, he would tell his young men that the true measure of a man was not what he acquired, it was not what he fought for. The true measure of a man is what that man does with his relationships, how he respects people, how he treats fellow human beings, how he cares for the least. When a mother asked him how the boys were gonna be doing this year, that season, Job said back, this season, this year? Oh, I'm not worried about this year. I'm worried about 10 years from now. I'm worried about how they'll treat their wives. I'm worried about how they'll father their children. I wonder, I'm worried about how often they'll go to church. That's what I'm worried about. And when his team would get ready to run out of the field for a game, he'd whip them up into a frenzy, the climax at which Joe would scream at his boys not to kill the other team, not to fight to the death, not to hit them hard. No, what Joe would scream at the climax is this question. He'd scream out this question, what's my job? And the boys would yell back, your job is to love us. 
And Joe screams back another question, and what's your job? And the boys scream back, our job is to love each other. And off they go onto the field. Now, is that a way to run a football team? Well, yeah, Joe would say. And it wouldn't be because of the 13 state championships. Because those really are beside the point. It's the only way to run a football team because it's the only way to live. It's the teaching that sustains life from the host of the table, the good teacher, the one who lasts a lifetime. Friends, once again, we are invited to God's table. And on this day, we remember all the world having been invited to this table as well. And we give God, thanks to good, the good Lord for his good grace for bringing us together at this table. Maybe less to do about us and more to do about God's grace. We have heard the invitation and we have responded and we have come to be here at this feast of forgiveness. So come, come wondering, what might it mean for me to be submitted to the good teacher? What might it mean for me to begin a new life, the instruction of our Lord and Savior? So here are the words of the institution of the Holy Supper of our Lord Jesus Christ as they are delivered by the Apostle Paul. I received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the same night in which he was betrayed, our Lord took bread, and after he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, take and eat, for this is my body broken for you. When you eat of this, remember me. And after supper, Jesus took the cup, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. When you drink it, remember me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you remember the Lord's death until he comes again and he will come again. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and upon these your gifts of bread and cup, that though through the gift we break together and the cup we share, 
May we retell our common stories and reshape our common bonds and remember our common grace together wherever we are in the world, all in the communion of the body and blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, the one in whose life and death you have united us all in love. Lord, as we gather around this sacred meal everywhere and in every place, linking arms with our brothers and sisters from every race, ethnicity, and nationality, bless us all, your children. Grace us with your presence as we pray to you now, O Lord. May we see in each other your light and your love. May we offer comfort to those with illness and those who are grieving. May we be a source of encouragement to those who are serving on the front lines, in the mission field, and in our armed forces. We give you thanks, O God, for the new members who have joined our church and our mission to love God and love neighbor. May they sense a, feel a sense of belonging and purpose as they too are filled up to then go and serve with hearts of love. Help us, Lord, to celebrate our differences, our names, our languages, our looks, and our way of doing things as this beautiful diversity is needed to best reflect your image. Although unique, may we remember that we are one in you, that we are united in love through you, and so may we be one with all who share this feast on this day of all days, with all your children at every corner of your table, in every corner of the world. May we be united by your love, united in hope, united in vision, united in purpose, united in ministry, in all times and in every place. All this we ask in the one who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. As we prepare to feast together, remember to open the bread side first, flip it over, then to do the juice, and to return in your baggies and take with you as you leave. Friends, the, the, <laughs> the gifts of God for the people of God. Let us thank God in prayer. 
We give you thanks, O God, for your holy feast we have shared with all our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. Send us out into the world to be your hands and feet and ears and voices of your love to all we meet each day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Following the benediction, you are following me out that door as we make our way over to our continued World Communion celebration. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with you now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.